Welcome to another episode of Corporate CPR, where we breathe life back into your organization, projects, and processes, giving you insights to recovery and avoiding corporate mortality events. Joining us today is Dan Prince. Dan has extensive knowledge surrounding the modern software development lifecycle, gained from over 20 years in the software industry. That has helped him get to where he is today as CEO and founder of Illumisoft. Throughout his career, he has constantly been a team member responsible for development and delivery of several solutions of data platforms, helping companies grow into high-performing agile teams using Scrum and other agile techniques. At Illumisoft, he prioritizes in building strong relationships with clients in order to truly understand their needs and provide the right software solutions. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. Well, to get started, you know, I can't, you're the founder of, of Illumisoft. I would love to hear how, um, you know, your journey to becoming that founder. And then, you know, I, I think you've got some interesting insights after kind of your first couple of years there. Sure. Uh, well, my journey to becoming uh, the founder of Illumisoft was really just a lot of hard work and coming up through the ranks in the uh, software development industry. Um, I worked mainly for projects that were centered in healthcare, and uh, so I really had a career focused in healthcare and software, and uh, been lucky enough to uh, to had enough experience and been able to uh, embellish my LinkedIn page with enough <laughs> keywords that. Uh, in 2013, a guy reached out to me. He was the CEO of, uh, of a startup company called Unidor. And they had a Chinese owner um, who didn't have a lot of connections in the United States. And he came here and he gave all of the responsibility to this guy um, to build him some software. And so he got out on LinkedIn and started finding software developers and asked them if they could build this solution. Clearly not uh, an approach that um, is normal. So this guy asked me and I said, no, thank you. I, I have a job. And uh, he came back to me a few times and he just seemed so desperate to succeed at this. I told him I would take a look at it. And one thing led to another. I ended up meeting the owner and uh, we decided that we would give it a shot to see if we could build him some software. And we were going to do it in very small phases so that we could determine whether or not uh, we wanted to continue to work on it or if he wanted to uh, to buy off the shelf software, which was what my recommendation was to him to begin with. Um, in any case, uh, so I was working at a company that has a lot of developers working for uh, them and they allowed their developers to work on other projects outside of work, Moonlight, basically. Mm -hmm. um, they, they believed, and I also believe that this is how developers keep their skills sharp. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, get, they, they work all day to get their job done and then they go home and they work all night on something they enjoy so that they can come back to work and bring those additional skills uh, to the company that they work for. Well, so I asked some of the guys that I worked with if they wanted to help. And, um, and I've got a few of them to say yes. And we started building the project. Uh, the client wanted it to go faster. So we found a few more guys which were connected to that original group. Um, and long story short, when the company found out that I had 10 to 12 of their developers working for me 
and we were all moonlighting on the same project, they got a little concerned. Right. <laughs> um, and I hadn't even really thought about it like that. Uh, like I was putting them at risk. I just, I was taking advantage of this opportunity and um, I was given uh, quite a few people the opportunity to, to do some cutting edge development for uh, a, you know, a new project and it was all good. Well, from the CIO's perspective, if, um, if I left, if Illumisoft was doing that well, that I could have 12 of their developers and a couple project managers working for me, that I could very easily just quit their business and take all the talent with me. Um, and that was nothing that I intended to do. And it certainly wasn't something that I wanted as a mark on, on my reputation in the industry. Mm -hmm. And so I assured him I wouldn't do that. Um, I quit that company and signed a, a promise that I would not take or try to offer any of their developers a job uh, for a year, which I honored. Um, I did have quite a few of them continue to work for me uh, as contractors. Mm. Um, but I left that company in 2015 at the end of May. And at the end of the at the end of June, the client uh, ran into some financial challenges and he decided to pull the plug on this project. And so I was without a job and without a project at that time. Um, and Luckily, we had arranged our agreement so that he still had to pay me for another year and a half, part of the back pay that he didn't pay up front. Um, in, in any case, some of those details, but it kept me afloat for just long enough that I could get out there and really look into uh, who in my area was looking for software development and uh figured out that there's a big gap between uh, if you can't afford, if you're not a company large enough to afford to hire a development team and uh, waste a lot of resources that go along with hiring and managing developers, um, then you have to go out and outsource that stuff. And if, and that's the majority of us, quite honestly, the majority of companies out there, they want a small solution. They're not going to hire a development team and maintain a development team to build that. Um, so I, I found out in the industry that the majority of the people that I was talking to that were potential clients had been burned in the past by developers that uh, didn't support their code afterwards or couldn't actually develop what they thought they could develop or developed it but didn't know how to deploy it and, and maintain it. Um, and I had been lucky enough that I had learned the entire life cycle of software from uh, gaining the requirements and defining the requirements all the way through to supporting it and sunsetting it when it's time is, has come. Um, so I started uh, going out there and um, promoting Illumisoft as a legitimate software company with uh, several of the people that I had working with me um, had 15 to 20 years experience as well. And so uh, we touted ourselves as being the most experienced software company in Kansas City. Um, and we did blog posts and YouTube videos. And um, we finally started getting some clients and getting some, uh, some big projects. In. And at that time, we didn't care what kind of projects they were, whether they were in logistics or 
transportations or um, one client that we had uh, built uh, electronic signs um, for fuel stations, for gas stations like Love's and um, I don't know what gas stations you have there. But if you drive along the highway in Missouri or in the Midwest, you can see a gas station sign for many miles before you get to it. And uh, I know the guy that builds those signs and they're, they're huge, a hundred feet by 50 feet tall. Mm. And he had software that he had written to maintain those and his software developer deserted him. And so he came to Lomasoft. That was nice. That was a difficult project, but um, we also had another guy that was doing uh, laser etching. Um, and he had an idea that he wanted to do it in three dimensions. And so we helped him develop that software. Um, but we also had quite a few clients in healthcare, one of them doing a really early stage telehealth solution around uh, neurosurgery. Um, and so we, we had quite a few things going on and uh, we were just taken in and every project that we could get our hands on and trying to hire the resources and design the architecture to maintain those solutions. Um, and that's really all we were doing. I realized after the fact that what we should have been doing as well was planning for new projects and ending some of those projects. Um, as it turned out, we, uh, we kind of went sideways on a couple projects. In fact, um, a couple projects ended and a couple projects decided they didn't want to work with us anymore. Um, through, partly through our fault, but also partly because of their, their own decision. Um, but we wound up in early 2017 without any projects and with uh, 15 people working for us and the prospect of not being able to pay them in a month or two if we uh, didn't do something drastic. So we ended up laying everybody off. We kept uh, a couple people on because we did have a, a, a project or two uh, for a local hospital that we were still doing. Um, and we managed to get through that time uh, through a lot of hard work and a lot of um, honesty and transparency with our clients. Quite honestly, mm -hmm. we just, we had, we went to them and said, here's, here's where we're at. And we are definitely going to complete our project for you. And we're going to get it done on time and under the estimated budget. And uh, like I said, we managed to get through that and, and complete that project. In fact, when we completed this huge project, which was a, a diabetic study um, for type one diabetes, um, it was a multi-million dollar project. Uh, our part of it was only a couple hundred thousand, but uh, by the time that we had got the contract, they only had a couple months left to build this project that they thought was going to take a year. Um, we redefined the architecture using microservices and cloud-based uh, approach and was able to get it done uh, about 65% of the cost. And in the two month period, uh, that we had allotted to us. And uh, that really solidified our relationship with this client. Um, and what we learned from that is that anybody can develop software. 
And yes, some people have more experience than other people, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're better at it. Um, so as a software developer, I can say that I'm good, but I'm not the best. Hmm. No, nobody on my team would ever say they're the best because they don't know everything there is to know. In yeah. fact, it would probably take a naive developer to say that he's the best. And uh, I have a couple sons that might say that, but <laughs> uh, we realized that, uh, that our niche really wasn't the experience in software development that I had thought it was several years earlier. Our niche was that we knew how to bridge the gap between technology and business need. Um, if I can talk the business language and I can talk technology, then suddenly we've got both of these groups working together and uh, hopefully heading towards a goal that uh, gives the return on investment for the client that they really expect and need. Uh, and there's a lot of ways in software development that you can delight the client um, by exceeding their expectations. Um, yeah, I want to ask. So you, you know, you talk about that your your um, key competency is connecting the business to the technology. And in Agile, they have a um, a term "gulf of evaluation," which means here I am the client. I'm describing something, but here my development team you know, they hear it, they think they understand it, but their understanding and my understanding of what I said is different. Um, so what are some things that you do to kind of bridge that, bridge that gap? That is uh, one of the most difficult things, um, mainly for clients. I've done it so many times that I know what's coming, right? I'm going to ask a lot of questions that they think they've already told me the answer to. Because I know if I ask it a different way, I'll get a different answer. And so uh, there was a time where I used to just preach to my team. We have to ask the stupid questions. Be willing to ask the obvious questions, the ones that you think you know the answer to. Because as soon as you find that you don't know the answer, then you can uh, go back to the beginning and find out where you went wrong. Uh, and it's only by doing that that you can really get to the heart of it. Because the client, even in their own internal discussions have that same gulf, right? Mm -hmm. they, they talk with each other and they all think they know what they're doing, but they really don't. And so um, I ask a lot of stupid questions. We make sure we document everything and then I draw pictures. Um, it's good to get all of the players out of the minds and onto a board so you can point at them and say, that guy and this guy are gonna talk or you know send data back and forth or whatever. So I found by by making it a little more human, uh, by making the experience less abstract, that we can really get to the point where we all know exactly what the solution is that we're looking at because we can see it on the board, how it's going to work. Um, and we can talk about it and change things around and move pieces uh, in a way that the business can process or use you know, that, that process to build its internal um, its internal processes. Once they know how it's all going to work, they can see where the rest of their systems can tie into it. Right. Another thing that is, I think, really important uh, to you, one of your, um, I guess, maybe the, the Illumisoft's values is really around customer centricity. What does that mean and how has it made a difference in, in your journey? Um, 
Well, so when somebody comes to us looking for our help in building a solution or evaluating whether they want us or somebody else, they've already made up their mind, they're going to build this thing. Um, we need to, in order for us to be confident that we can help them, we need to understand their entire situation. Often they will come to us and they will give us a set of requirements, um, usually not you know, a waterfall type set of requirements, but a document that will say, this is generally what we want to do. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll understand it. Um, but the way that we truly understand how to help them and how we make them centric to our process is we understand why they want to use it. Why do you want this? Why do you want mm -hmm. this solution? Now that we know what it is, tell us why you want it, right? How are you going to use it? How long do you want it to last? How is it going to fit in with the rest of your systems or uh, how are you wanting to make money on it? Um, and so once we understand all of those things, we can ask even more questions. Well, how much do does this have to cost you in order for you to make that amount of money or, or those kinds of questions, right? But without mm -hmm. that detail and without talking to them uh, and putting them at the center of the story, we don't really know how the solution they want us to build uh, connects to them. Or, yeah, you know, and I think when when you explain it well, and so it sounds like common sense, but I would imagine that uh, that is not necessarily what all organizations do. So what what trap do other organizations fall into when it comes to truly understanding their customer? Um, I, and I've fallen into this trap, too. Uh, you tend to want to not say so much that you scare the client away mm. right? and that keeps you from being transparent that keeps you from asking a question because you don't want the client to think that you don't understand them mm. that might count against you in terms of you know if they're evaluating several people um th this is the way that i fail this is the way that i've seen other people fail um i, I know quite a few agency owners uh here in town in, in the Midwest and uh, and we network a little bit and it's it's a mistake in my opinion. If you aren't 100% confident that you can do a good for job for that client, then don't take the job. That's, mm -hmm. that's my approach. Um, and the only way that you can be 100% sure is if you dig deeper and you're willing to risk and make yourself vulnerable and, and look stupid, right? A ask stupid questions, like I said. Mm -hmm. um, the, the proof really is in the pudding. It's when you get to that point and you ask that client that question that he hadn't thought of and they, you can tell by the look on their face, they're, oh, and thought of that. Now they value you as a guide. And right. uh, that's the relationship that I like to build. And then once you've built that relationship, you, you have to maintain it by doing the things you say you're going to do and uh, being right most of the time. And when you're not right, being humble enough to admit it. So what happens when, you know, maybe you go undertake a project and you and you get to the end or halfway through or, or something and you, you're finding that um, the customer's expectations weren't being met? It sounds like you had you, you've had that experience. And, you know, I find that companies, the truly great ones do the right thing, even when it's hard. And it sounds like that's what you guys have experienced. So so what did you do when when you had some dissatisfied customers? Um, 
I was humble and told them, I'm, I apologize that we did not meet your expectations. Um, I did my best. I always do my best. Uh, and I'm sorry it didn't work out. Uh, I have given back the or uh, not sent an invoice for the last payment, just kind of as a, as a gift. Sorry, we didn't get to the end goal. Uh, but really, that's all you can do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I regret those projects. You know, I like to be successful at everything I do. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, I believe in failure. I believe that uh, you shouldn't be afraid of it and you shouldn't regret it too long. What you should do is learn from it and uh, remember those lessons and keep going. Yeah, I don't know about you. I, you know, I think there's some instances where even if it even if it is our failure, it wasn't necessarily our uh, our fault. Like I had an instance where we were we were helping a client and what it really amounted to is they didn't know what they wanted. Right. So we got in we got in there, we got hired, helping them out. Um, and then when we really got into it, they're like, you know, it, it, it seemed pretty straightforward. We're going to build them these X, Y, Z templates for project management. Easy. But when we got into it, it's not really what they wanted and, and they didn't know what they wanted. And so we ended up having, you know, to cancel the engagement halfway through. And, and I, like you, don't want to fail. And I'm like, I feel like a failure because I couldn't give them what, what they wanted. But part of the challenge was they really didn't have clarity on that vision. We, we have a client right now that uh, really requires us to help them flesh through their, their vision for their ideas. Um, and through that process, we now usually do our statements of work in uh, two phases. The first phase is let's figure out what it is we're going to do. Um, and we usually, you know, put a price on that, you know, commensurate with our development work. Um, but we don't want to just give that work away. And that's what we were doing in the beginning. It's like, we'll do all that work up front and then hopefully you'll hire us. Um, but I think there's value in helping a client do that. So it's, it really is a different service, more business consulting uh, with a little hint of technology than it is uh, development services. But they do go hand in hand. And I think that's uh, my experience right now with um our biggest client is that when you do your best to provide your whatever kind of service it is for us, it was software development. Uh, they will recognize that you're doing your best and to us doing our best means that we have project managers. We have UI UX people. Um, we have testers, those kinds of things. Um, and when the quality of the solution uh, is in question, and they see that we have put all of these other resources to it. They look at those resources and they say, how do we, how do we get our internal team to do what you guys did? And so we're in there in, in a number of different departments now helping uh, in a variety of different ways, including staff augmentation, business consulting, um, project management, organizational change, um, and those kinds of things. It's certainly not where my forte is. So like you, you know, I, I don't know where the fault should be laid on those or if anybody should actually be laid fault, but the responsibility is here for sure. And so I let my clients know that, you know, that's, 
I promised you we would get there and we didn't. And uh, let me take you out for a beer or something. Right. So how do you get that same um, mentality around customer service um, throughout your organization? Like, you know, so that everybody is, is focused on that. Um, it's, we communicate a lot. All right. And uh, I've found that the people that I work with uh, are good visual communicators, which I am too. So uh, we do a lot of things with, you know, screen capture and videos and those kinds of things where we share messages with each other uh, and they become, uh, they, they have a bit more longevity than just talking with somebody. I mean, which is why we're recording this, right? Uh, and we've developed a library of things that uh, new hires can come in and just watch videos of, of all our people. It, it helps them get to know us. It helps them um, kind of decide who they want to be in that group. Uh, and it, it really allows us to have uh, intimate conversations um, and stay you know, in touch with each other, even though we're all remote. Mm. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, and, and, you know, but in those documents and things that you created, how explicit are you about those elements of your culture? And, and, and oh, I talk with my employees or my associates in the same way that I talk with you today. I, uh, I just tell them exactly how it is, how we got here, the mistakes I've made and the corrections that I've uh, made and uh, why I think we need to go the direction we're going and how I think that looks and how it all works. And we are constantly um, enhancing it, optimizing it, looking at it, making changes. Uh, I don't exactly know how they get motivated to take the same approach that I do and uh, that my COO do, but they certainly do. And I see it um, because uh, one time I made a comment about one of our clients who uh, I took on just to kind of um, to help him for one, because he was desperate. And also because we had a few extra hours on our developer that we were paying for that I didn't want him to sit there empty handed. So, Anyway, we took this little client on. We're not making any money on him. I, I should not have cared so small, but I said something like, well, that's just him. And one of my people stood up and said, well, you said you want to treat all your clients with the same level of care and respect, which is true. So when they, when they come back to me and uh, show me, help me get back on track, um, you know, makes me proud. And it also helps me know that I'm doing the right thing. Uh, you know. Yeah. That kind of um, uh, transparency or I guess honesty within an organization is so important where people can um, feel like they can, um, you know, express their observations, how they feel about them to leadership, you know, is, is really vital to, to an organization's health. I agree. We've got a pretty flat org, which, um, mm. you know, eight, eight people plus, you know, a team of developers, but I don't really consider, I hope they don't hear this. I don't really consider our developers, our core team, our management team, um, right. our customer relationship executives 
um, manage projects. We have our COO, um, chief development officer, and myself, and that's our core team. We handle all of the design, the architecture, um, the communication, everything with the client. And then we keep our development team in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just because, I, I don't know, one of my pet peeves as I as coming up through the ranks and as I talked with vendors, as I was managing projects uh, for companies um, in my previous life, uh, was that people like to blame the developers. The product owner or the product manager would come to you and say, well, my developer said this. Well, the developer said that. So I keep the developer out of it. It's, you know, take responsibility for that developer and just say, we, we will take care of it. And Absolutely. so I don't put my developers behind the scene because they're substandard associates, but because I really want the experience for the client to be that they are talking to the right person all the time. Well, and you know, that, that has, even though, um, uh, it reminds me of the agile principles, right? Where are the scrum principles where, where, you know, the development team is not supposed to be bothered by stakeholders, by the customer and stuff, you know, they are supposed to be protected. And, and in the scrum world, it's the scrum master that protects them, but, you know, um, it saves them time, distraction, makes them more efficient. Uh, and, and then you're right. There's one point of contact so you're not having to worry about who told, you know, did the customer tell this person one thing and this person another thing, things like that. So, you know, it, it makes sense to me. What I was what I was referring to more, though, was when uh, people use a party that isn't present as the blame. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and that's what I really as as a client. When a vendor does that to me, I see what it is. It's a you know, you just used a scapegoat that I don't have any access to. Or so now my retribution ability to, to solve my problem is gone. So because I recognize it, I don't want my clients to have to experience that with the Lumisoft. Uh, we're hundred percent responsible. So let's not talk about our developers as though um, they're part of the team, but you as the client never get to see them mm-hmm. be their entire interface. A theme I'm hearing throughout what you what you've talked about, it feels like there's a lot of um, courageousness in in your organization. You know, it it takes courage to to be humble. It takes courage to say we we did this versus having the scapegoat. You know, there's a lot of things that you're you're talking about that just um, t- you know take courage to to do the right thing. I mean, do you feel that way? Do you feel you have a courageous organization? I. I- Hadn't thought of it in terms of courage, um, but more in terms of customer service. I really feel like, you know, I'm willing to sacrifice my fear of doing something if it's the right thing for the client. If I make that vow, then that's really what's driving me, not, uh, you know, the fact that I want to be courageous. Uh, I will say this. I like to be a hero. (laughs) When a client comes to me, um, with a real big problem, the fact that they're desperate is attractive to me. It's like, mm. yes, let me help. Right. Um, just- I love failing projects. That's, that's my, I found that's my favorite thing to, and, and so maybe there's a little element of being a hero there, but I, I love to go in and be like, okay, how do we get this fixed? Um, yeah. yeah, there's nothing like seeing a client delighted with what you do. I mean, that just brings, that's just happiness when we bring that kind of uh, benefit to others, I think. 
Mm. So when you think about, um, you know, your, maybe your industry peers or, or, or organizations in general, you know, we talk about on our, on the show mortality events and, and the way we defy that is, uh, you know, loss of market share or going out of business or, you know, just becoming irrelevant in your industry. What do you think, how do, how does, how do people, how do organizations die or experience a mortality event in this area? What have you seen? Well, so my only real perspective on this is from an agency, a technical agency perspective. Um, and I'm, there's several different kinds of agencies, but one thing in common that we all have, we all have that one client that keeps us going, right? At least one big client that gets us through the hard times. Mm -hmm. um, what I am seeing for a couple of uh, my friends and agency owners is that they're, they're not willing to take a risk for a client um, and they're stuck. Quite honestly, they're stuck in the way they do things, both in the way that they run their business, but also in the way that they sell their services, the way they manage their relationship with their client um, as transactional and um, just the use of technology. They've, they've started this thing and it works. And so now they're still using it. We design a different solution for every client using cutting edge technologies, because that's the only way that you can make sure that it's relevant for as long as it can be relevant. If, and I did this for a client, um, we started a solution with one version of Angular right before the next version came out, which that was a mistake on our part. So we went back and ported it to the new version uh, free of charge. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Um, you know, so I guess though, then here's the here's the kind of key question I ask everybody. So like, now you're you're talking about customer centricity, customer customer service, customer focus. So what are your three recommendations for organizations then um, to be able to have, you know, to get this right to avoid a mortality event? Well. First of all, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I believe that what has worked for us will continue to work. Mm. Okay. And what has worked for us best is truly getting to know our clients um, and expanding that network and maintaining that network because it is those relationships that keeps the projects coming in for us. Um, what I am doing to ensure that we don't lose relevance and that we continue to grow. And uh, we want to move into uh, all of the hospitals in Kansas City and then head west and east. Um, but what's kept us relevant is just making sure that every time we experience something uh, where the client hasn't been completely satisfied or we could have done a better job we, uh, we do a postmortem. We look at our processes and what caused it. We're honest with ourselves about what we could have done differently. And then we adapt and change. We, uh, we have different processes for each client because as we've gotten to know them and understand their needs, it's required us to adapt our processes. Uh, 
some people have, for instance, more than enough money to do the project that they're looking for. And what they want is, is it to be time bound. If you can't get it done on time, that's going to really hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. Other people have very limited money and they don't care how long it takes as long as we don't exceed that budget. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the same way, they have different expectations about how you report to them, mm -hmm. uh, how much you have done, how much you've spent, et cetera, because their management has different expectations of what they report to them. So um, we adapt to our clients. We make sure that um, once we have adapted, that they're happy with it. But we have we have our weekly meetings with all of our clients on all of our projects, but we uh, we have kind of management meetings with those same clients once once a month, and we call those relationship meetings. How are we doing? What can we do better? We also take the opportunity to tell them what they can do better. Mm. Um, mm, that's good. Good advice. Um, so, if people want to learn more about Alumasoft or connect with you, how can they how can they do so? Uh, LinkedIn is good. I'm at uh, Dan Prince in slash Dan Prince and company slash Illumisoft. Uh, you can go to our website too. We have Twitter. We don't tweet too much. We're not, not too big in the social media world. We're not, we don't really know where we stand in there. Our, our clients, when they go to social media, they don't tend to do so looking for software developers. So uh, you can find my email out there too. All of that information is on LinkedIn. Shoot me an email. I'd be happy to respond. Oh, that's great. Thanks so much for your time today, Dan. Thank you for having me. It's great talking to you. Yeah. And to everyone else, until next time, keep your organizations healthy. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>